out of the park baseball is already the best baseball simulator out there and it's gotten even better with the release of their new perfect team mode perfect team is their foray into the ultimate team card collecting modes that have revolutionized the online experience for sports games if you already have ootp 19 then you have perfect team just go to the home page and click perfect team on the right hand side and you'll begin with your six starter packs to build the team. And from there, you can choose to open more packs or dive into the robust auction house and use perfect points to craft the team that you want. The depth of players is truly amazing with a card for every player present on an MLB roster, as well as legendary throwbacks like Babe Ruth, Walter Johnson, Cy Young, like Daryl Strawberry, Larry Walker, Manny Ramirez, all the way down to novelty players like Bob Euchre and Snuffy Sternweiss. That's right. I said Snuffy Sternweiss. That's a real player. Once you have your team, you build your lineups, you build your rotation, you pick the strategy that you want. You want to run a small ball team. You want to be a full sabermetrician. You want to be somewhere in between. You want to run an unorthodox. You can choose you know, how often that you're stealing, how often you're using shifts, the slowness or quickness of the hook for pitchers and relievers. A lot of detail there that you can set for the team and how it will run during the simulations. Uh, and once you set all that, you submit your team and the game simulates outcomes every 30 minutes from 9 a.m. to midnight central. Seasons run from Monday to Sunday with every day of the week covering a month and then Sundays covering the playoffs. Will you make the playoffs and be promoted to the next level or finish with one of the worst records in the league and possibly face relegation down to a previous level? Download the game for just $20 at ootpdevelopments.com and use code SLEEPER19 for a 10% discount at checkout. That's ootpdevelopments.com. Hello and welcome to episode 639 of The Sleeper in the Bust. It is Tuesday, February 5th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, and I'm joined by Justin Mason. Justin, what's going on, man? Oh, it is TGFBI announcement day. Oh, big day, big day. You know what else it is? It's the day we win podcast of the year. You're damn right it I'm is. I'm calling I, my shot. I, calling I love it. it. I really hope it is. And uh, yeah, I feel I feel pretty good about it. Um, they, the FSWA awards are tonight on Sirius XM. So we'll be waiting for that phone call. Hopefully that well, we, you, uh, you've won one of these awards win. before. How long does it take no. to get the trophy? No, I have not. You've I have never won. won? Oh, I have not one. No, I could have, I'm sitting here waiting. Oh. We've, we've done well as an organization, but your boy has not won. I've put up okay. different things, including the podcast primarily. That's what I'm really hoping if to win, we win on. But I have a request. Yes. If you get the trophy before we go to Tout Wars, you need to bring the trophy to Tout Wars. Uh, I, I think that's a tremendous idea. Yes. Um, one, uh, first, I, w- I want to like you know congratulate also like the the two other pods that were nominated with us. Rotowire, you and I both listen to that one. ESPN Fantasy Focus. One, yes. And uh, yeah, we we grew up on that one. Yeah, we grew up on that one. We we love those guys, um, and so. It's awesome to be nominated along with those guys, especially in my first full full season. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so like I, it was, I was really afraid like this would be the year you guys don't get nominated. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, oh, that drop off from Eno was huge. Yikes, man! Uh, what regression really, really hit them hard, eh? So, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, like it's an honor to be nominated along with those guys. That being said, because I'm an NL only tout, Tristan and Todd Zola are both in that league, and I would love to just put the trophy in front of me during NL tout. Yes, and then every break we switch it, like back and forth. Um, so yeah, you know, it would be awesome to win. We yes. really, really hoping that we can pull the dub tonight. Stay tuned to Twitter, or if you have SiriusXM, listen to the award show and everything. Should be a lot of fun. But we are going to be talking some third baseman yet again here. Uh, we're breaking it into two parts. Kind of knew it was going to happen. It's going to be a long one here. This is pretty interestingly deep position, and we went pretty pretty long on uh, on uh, quite a few guys. So I am going to be time stamping during the show here, folks, just so you know. And I think I got the the time right with the, you know, 10 seconds into when we started, plus the uh, open with the intro and the ad. So it should be right around with these timestamps, but bear with me if it's a few seconds off. But you'll get in the general vicinity. So let's just go ahead and start. Um, if you didn't listen to the first one, you don't really have to listen to them in order, but if you want to hear about all the uh, all the top guys, you're going to want to go back here. This this one's more for the deep league folks, without a doubt. We cut off at at Mike Mustakis. If you want to follow along, you can look at the average draft position on the NFBC website. We set it to January 1st of 2019, kind of get those last handful of drafts since the new year, and uh, draft champions only right now because that has the biggest sample. We'll switch to online uh soon and that'll be the rotowire online championship because those ones will be played out and that'll start to get a much bigger sample but right now there's 33 draft and hold drafts so that gives us a nice rich sample to take a look at and i think it's useful there plus they go deeper so particularly for this episode um, it's going to be most useful for getting into some of those some of those guys so let's go into the capable but better as corner infant these guys you know if they were your starting third baseman, you better be loaded everywhere else. But you're putting them in at CI. That's not too bad. Let's start with Eduardo Escobar. He's going to spend the full year out in Arizona this year. He's just always been pretty capable, right? I mean, he's a perfect fit for this this tier name because he just goes out there and does his thing. He now has back-to-back 20 homer seasons. Um, his ISO actually went up last year. You know, he hit 21 homers in 17 in 499 plate appearances and then 20. 20- 23 last year in 631. You'd be like, oh, dang, you know, his power went down. His doubles skyrocketed from 16 to 48. And even with the uh, the 132 extra plate appearances, that doesn't account for that kind of jump. So his power did jump up last year, 272 average. Doesn't really run. Um, I know I used to confuse Eduardo Escobar with Eduardo Nunez. And so I was always expecting speed from Escobar. In, in years past, I'm like, why, why didn't I get That's my a, steals on him? Yeah. yeah, and it's like, no, he doesn't run at all. Nunez does. Escobar, you get maybe a couple chip-ins. You're really going for the power. Uh, he usually has some versatility, too. We'll see if he bounces around at all with the Diamondbacks. But how do you feel about Eduardo Escobar getting a full-time role out in Arizona? They're kind of in a retool, rebuild, but he should be top of the lineup, first or second, and just playing every day. I mean, I know we have a, a a category later that's meh, but I kind of feel meh about this whole group of guys. Sure. Like, I just I think I would probably wait for the next 
group that has a little bit higher upside. I mean, the nice thing about Escobar is if you've taken some gambles earlier on, I think you can kind of pencil in 20 home runs in like a 250 average, 250-260 type of average. So it's he's kind of a safe guy to put on your team, which has value in itself, uh, especially depending on your roster construction. I just... There's such higher upside going later that I'm I'm gonna more often than not wait another you know couple rounds and, and grab a different guy. Yeah, this is following uh, ADP pretty closely here. Some of the lower tiers, well, I started to group them uh, regardless of ADP, but uh, we're definitely getting into the later bunch here. Eduardo Escobar's at 180, and he's a, a 20 point drop off from Mustakis. So everyone else uh, after this next guy will be 200 or later. And the next guy is Yuli Gurriel uh, for the Houston Astros. He's going to be at 186. He actually has the dual eligibility of first third. Now, the one thing I do like about him, he's also a bit meh. But finding batting average late is not easy. And you do get that here with uh, with Gurriel. So I think that there is some usefulness there. Uh, 290 each of the last two years, 18 homers and 17, but just 13 last year. He does give you a few chip-in steals as well. Uh, eight total the last two years and in 139 and 136 games respectively. So you get that tack on. Heavy contact guy, 11% strikeout rate, doesn't walk, but you're getting that batting average and it's plentiful. He's not a full-timer or hasn't been his two years with the Astros so far. And uh, unlikely to be again this year going into age 35 and the fact that they have other players. So the fact that he doesn't walk is actually helpful, I would say, in this case, because it's going to still give you a good volume of at-bats over 500 to get that batting average usefulness. If he was like a 10% walk guy, that might almost detract away from what he does best. So I kind of like Gurriel here as a batting average play late. How do you feel about the 35-year-old first, third dual eligible? Yeah, I think he's one of those guys that is perfect for a reserve list or a bench because he's got that dual eligibility. Uh, he does offer that batting average upside. Won't play every day, but he's still gotten at least 550 plate appearances in each of the last two seasons. Uh, and Gaddis is gone, so that's like one big clog in you know kind of in his way of getting more plate appearances. So it wouldn't surprise me actually if he goes over 600 plate appearances this year. That being said, they'll probably. Uh, put Tyler uh, White at first uh, a number of times and, and give mm-hmm. guys like Springer uh, or, or anyone who's banged up uh, some time at DH2. So he, he's probably unlikely to increase his uh, plate appearances total, but he's just a unsexy guy that can help supplement your batting average uh, later on in a draft. And I think that has a lot of value, especially if you take some batting average risk guys early on, like a Joey Gallo or something like that. Exactly. Uh, he, he's just a nice guy to, uh, you know, get you 550 plus plate appearances with a nice average. Gurriel's a bit of an older uh, David Peralta pre-breakout. Yes. And I always liked Peralta because of his batting average capability late. And uh, I will I will be keeping an eye on Gurriel for that same reason. Let's move on to another guy who also offers some interesting uh, interesting batting average late, and that's Joey Wendell. I think he also has some dual eligibility here. Let me take a look. Yeah, second and third. So you get another dual eligible guy, Joey Wendell, out in Tampa Bay. Had an interesting rookie year and perhaps in a different season would get more uh, love for rookie of the year. But there were two, you know, uh, first class guys with Andahar and Otani, of course, winning it. But he hit 300, 354, 435, 
seven homers, 16 steals, 16 for 22. So he uh, 20 as well, I should say, uh, 20 attempts. So he did he did well there. 28 years old though, right? This is a late blooming rookie, so we're probably at the peak, I would say. I don't see an avenue where Joey Wendell gets appreciably better, and if anything, I'd probably bake in a little bit of regression. But you're getting decent batting average, some steals. He's not bad. He's also a bit meh. But the Escobar, Gurriel, Wendell, they, their their floors are higher than the meh group. That's why they avoided that tag. Yeah, and I think again the position eligibility is nice, and I think he's definitely going to have some regression in the average. I, I don't think he is going to uh, hit 300 again, but I think he could hit like 275, 280. Uh, and he offers a little bit of pop and, and some decent speed. The question always with the Rays is, is he going to play every day? Yep. His um, defense is great, so that, defense should, is fantastic. that should help. But, I mean, I th- is he, isn't he slated for a bench roll already? Um, uh, they have him inked in. They're, I don't see a platoon on roster resource right now. And you know we we, we lean on them when and we know it's not the Bible, mm-hmm. but we lean on them uh, for the guidance there. They have him at second base for Wendell, batting third as well. Oh, I wow. actually would, I'd I'd go. Well, that's two lefties in a row. That's probably why they have Fam in between them. But if I he fits as more of a prototypical old school number two, two yeah. guy, high contact mm-hmm. sort of guy. But Fam, I mean, if he is batting behind Kiermaier and Fam, we could see some interesting RBI boost. And obviously, that's not what you're really getting him for. But uh, if Kiermaier can stay healthy and and continue on a trajectory we've seen in the past when healthy and Fam does his thing, there's going to be ducks on the pond for Wendell. And maybe he pushes 85 ribbies uh, if he, in fact, does bat third. But either way, he should be slated in for a full-time role right now. That's what we've Mm -hmm. got in front of us because of that second base defense and a, another avenue where you can get some late batting average, even if it's more of a 280 over 300, you're still not often finding batting average late. And uh, I mentioned the, the speed and the fact that he was uh, doing so at an 80% clip is very sharp as well. So hopefully they let him continue to run at that level for Wendell. And depending on your league settings, he may have other eligibilities too. He played 16 games or 17 games in the outfield, nine games at shortstop. So there, I mean, there's a chance he could one pick up shortstop eligibility in season because I think most leagues it's at least 10 mm-hmm. uh, starting the year. Uh, but he in you know Tout Wars Yahoo, he's already got outfield eligibility. So uh, that's just an added bonus. That's good call. So that's a good call on Wendell. So yeah, you know. Uh, I, I again, I feel what you're saying with the uh, with the mehness of mm-hmm. of this group, but they do have solid floors, and that's why they avoided it, totally the, the getting dumped. Positional eligibilities for Guriel and Wendell make them more interesting because I think we've talked about it a lot this year with the amount of days off, especially if you play in daily moves league. Yes, uh, I want guys who can move around a lot. Like that is a goal of mine to make sure I have a ton of positional flexibility on my team to maximize my plate appearances. Nunez has shortstop as well. So he, he uh, excuse me, Escobar. See, I did it again. <laughs> I did it again. But Escobar has shortstop third. So they all have two positions, Escobar, Gurriel, and Wendell. And all that gives Eduardo's them a little extra same. juice. Yeah. That, uh, hashtag not all Eduardo's. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's move on to the uh, bounce back gambles here and obviously that name's pretty straightforward and it's going to be Kyle Seeger for our first one and you know he couldn't have had a worse year and this is a decent case well, obviously I, I disagree it, with that he could have had his brother's year 
well, that's true. He could have not played. Yeah. As far as po- that, it's almost worse that what he did though, because it was hard to take him out because he kind of kept figuring mm-hmm. it would come back to the mean for Kyle Seeger, and it just didn't. This would be an interesting case to point to when you talk about somebody having stability and just being ironclad is that even the ironclad guys who've done it for yeah. literally six straight years, not wavering too much. Like he had a little bit of a boost in 16 and then even his 17 was a little bit, th- those were almost the two bookends of, of his WRC plus before 2018 for Kyle Seeger. But there was, you could pretty much ink in, 22 uh, 20 to 30 homers and that that range sounds massive but it's really not as ron shangler calls it it's a few errant gusts of wind it was Mm -hmm. 20 22 25 26 30 27 and he even still hit the 22 last year yeah the argument though going average tanks the argument going into last year was he's been so stable so now two years in a row can we say he's been so stable i mean he's like you said he's gonna get you 20 home runs his Mm -hmm. Average should probably rebound a little bit. You know, That's maybe the question. To the, Where does it rebound to, though? Because he had a 22% strikeout rate. systems have him at like two, 245, 242, 243. So, like, it's a very small rebound. Um, but that's, I mean, still 20 points of batting average considering he hit 221 last year. I just think this is, skills-wise, kind of maybe just the beginning of the end for Seager. And... Who knows what that lineup around him is going to look like halfway through the season as DePoto trades away everything they can. Because they can't trade him. He's got a clause in his contract that if he gets traded, uh, his $20 million option for... um, Or $15 million option for 2022 goes from being a team option to a player option. Ooh. So he can... Like, he's not going to get moved. No one is going to take that on. Because it can't, and I believe it can, yeah, it can increase up to $20 million. Um, but if he gets traded, that becomes his option, not the team's option. So I don't think anybody's going to be willing to take that on. So we could be talking about a roster with just him and Hanniger in it, you know, by midseason. And that could be really ugly. That, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I agree there uh, with, with Seeger, particularly if he doesn't bounce back. The reason that I wouldn't tag uh, tab him for a full bounce back is because the strikeout issues didn't just start last year. We started mm-hmm. to see the breakdown of it previous to in, in 17. And so with that, and then you see, so now you see two swing strike rate jumps from a consistent 7% to 8.6 and 17 and then 10 last year. So we'll just call it nine and 10 the last two years. Um, and then the strikeout rate jumps. It didn't jump that much in 17, so he kind of outran the swinging strike rate jump. But then last year goes from 16. He'd been consistently in that 16 to 18 range to 22%. That's a pretty big jump for uh, for Kyle Seeger. And then it puts a lot of onus on his BABIP, which has never been particularly good. He, he's a career 281, but then 262 and 251 the last two years. So I have a hard time seeing a big rebound unless he – somehow changed his fly ball directive, which is, yeah. which is generally what, and I don't really see that. So. It's an approach change that he's made over the course of the last couple of years. Cause if you look like his walk rate has steadily declined over the last uh, three seasons, uh, it's like, this is, he's become more aggressive, maybe, tr- you know, changed his launch angles, uh, 
kind of massively, like over two percent in each year. Um, so it's it's. I think he's like trying to hit for more power because he sees everybody else do it, and he's trying to become more aggressive, and it's just not working for him. So maybe if a batting coach comes in and goes, "Hey, listen, we're gonna go back to what worked," we could see a little bit of change because like the exit velocity was up almost two miles an hour last year. He's just not barreling the ball mm. anymore. Well, and is it? it's pretty difficult to, to believe that at 31, there's going to be a major shift mm-hmm. back into what Seager did and, best. Yeah, that's why I don't believe it. I don't believe it'll happen. I just, I'm not, yeah, gonna, so I'm that, not buying that's it. That's tough bounce back. And he's the top of this group. And so if you do want to get a bounce back, you probably look elsewhere besides Seeger. So I yeah, I would I think I'd peace out on that. Let's then move on uh, to Miguel Sano and talk a little oh, bit about what, what he's looking to do. I know that you are a big fan here. So obviously it's it's been it's been a challenge, right? Let's just uh let's be generous here and call it <laughs> challenging. We've still seen the power. Uh, you know, even last year he only had a 199 ISO. But uh, if that's your down season, like power is the name of the game here. You still pop 13 homers in 71 games. You'd be lazy and just kind of extrapolate that. And, and you're looking at, you know, 27 high 20s homers for a full season. The problem is full seasons don't exist for him yet in the majors. The th- plate appearances are 335, 495, 483, 299 for Miguel Sano. Th- even with that, he does still have two 25 plus homer seasons which speaks to the great power. So I understand why people keep coming back and he's only going to be age 26, but the strikeout rate is through the roof. So I think there's a severe cap on the batting average and it's almost a credit to how hard and well he can strike the ball at times that he does have a 269 uh, nice average in 2015 and then 264 in 2017, but he's a career 244. And I think the 236 and 199 of 16 and 18 are more believable. Not that, that's what exactly what he's going to do, but I just take his 240. I just kind of put him there as a starting point for Miguel Sano. Can we get best shape of his career? Supposedly season? he's in it, right? Yeah, I mean, can, can we finally get it though? Like, what 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 are we really looking at here with Sano? The he's priced to buy 227 is not an egregious price, and he's ranged as low as 262 uh, for, for Sano. I need. I, I do need something even maybe lower than the two twenty seven. Personally, though, I'm just there, there's other guys I'd want. By the way, sorry, there's the, some of the other guys in this grouping that I would even want over Sano. I need to know what you're seeing out. I, I get the raw power, but can raw I get power, raw power in a lot of different spots? Raw power, high walk rate. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm a sucker for Sano. There are a ton of warning signs, but maybe this is just. Um, you know the fantasy kryptonite thing, which uh, I was corrected by Matthew Barry that that was not uh, an invention of his, but uh, uh, an invention of Bill Simmons. Simmons, okay, okay. So, um, I, I apologize, Bill. I know you listen. He doesn't listen. Um, he does. He definitely does. Uh, but this is yeah. This is a guy that I just can't give up on because I believe that if we get a full season of Sano we're looking at a guy who's going to hit like 50 home runs. And uh, you look last year is kind of a wash year injured, um, you know, had some off the field troubles coming into the year that really, I think kind of took a lot of his attention. 
with a, a domestic or uh, a sexual assault charge uh, by someone who, who and nothing ever came of it, at least legally speaking. Uh, but was he exonerated from that? No, I think he was. Okay. I think it was. She didn't have it proof. It dropped, but it mm-hmm. wasn't an exoneration. Okay, I, no. I just want to be clear on that. And no when to hammer and then on he, a ran, guy. he ran over a police officer he ran this somebody off over. Yeah, <laughs> but i knew that i guess he was Nothing exonerated of that. that um yeah so uh I, I mean so like there's there's a lot of red flags here that being said i i watch the swing and i go oh man this guy is going to be a massive power guy and i mean when he i mean in 2017 he had he he had, he was, you know, in the top one percent of exit velocity and the top two percent of barrel percentage. Like, there's just a matter of time. He's always going to strike out a ton. So, like, we have we have to know that and we have to accept that. But he walks a ton. Uh, he barrels the ball up when he hits it. He hits it extremely hard. Uh, you know, I prefer him obviously in an on base percentage format, but. Uh, He's a guy I'm going to get a lot of shares of because he's so cheap and in, in the the potential is sky high. I mean, there is there is strong potential. I, I fully I fully understand that. Um, I'm not I'm not going to have him. I'm just not I, and I mean I get that. Like you know, you look at the you you look at some of the warning signs and you know people are going to call me hypocrite because uh, you know I say I won't take certain guys who've got really you know, poor plate discipline and contact skills at times. And then you're taking uh, him. And then I'm yeah. taking him. Uh, Miguel Sano. We said him, so, but Miguel Sano is who we're still talking about. Yeah, so I mean, you know, I, I, I'm scared of Javi Baez regressing from a first rounder to like a third rounder. Uh, and so I won't take Javi Baez, but I'll, I'll, I'll take Miguel Sano. So <laughs> I, I know there's well, a, the cost, a ton. cost, though, too. There's yeah. a cost associated. But I mean, I took Miguel Sano last year at like pick 45. Uh, in in the Rotowire Dynasty Invitational, so I'll I'll eat crow on that one. It, you know the news about him being char or being accused of stuff like happened literally like two hours later. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, you know I ate a lot of shows of or shares of uh, Miguel Sano um, last year, and so uh, I've been burnt. But for some reason, I just keep going back to the well. I mean, we do have fantasy kryptonites, right? Like. Yeah. Guys it's, it's just... a great, it's a great phrase by Simmons because it it absolutely happens. I'm guilty of it too. I'm I, not gonna I sit figured here out why it happens stones. though. Do tell. It happens because the times we give up on guys are the times they break out, and that's so frustrating. I know Chris Liz talks about that a lot, where he doubles down. Mm-hmm. You owe me now. I bought you. I'm coming back, and I like back to the well too, though. And I, we talk about this I... a lot on the show, going mm-hmm. back to the well, because if you believe in the skills and you didn't see a complete erosion of them in the burn year. Why would you run away? Because now you're going to get it at a better price. Because after four years of loving Jimmy Nelson, I finally said enough, and then he breaks out. Yep. But that's oh, like we, that's we why I have a hard time thing. quitting, guys, because I go, I trust my eyes. I'm a pretty good judge of talent. I can read the numbers. This should work at some point. Uh, and then when it doesn't over and over and over again, you finally go. Because like, if this is the year I quit Miguel Sano, you know what's going to happen, right? Dude, dude's going to like lead the American League in home runs. And so, oh, of course. of course, I'm willing 44 to just homers and and just burning you, yeah. constantly. Because he's only 25. Like I think people forget 26, age 26. Oh, it'll be the age 26 season. So, uh, but it, it's yeah, he's still super young. Like there's still plenty of time for him to figure this out. 
uh, and the Twins keep giving them all the chances in the world. So, as they should right now, mm-hmm. I don't see any reason that they that they should move away from Sano. So I do agree with that with that aspect of it of giving him the playing time right now. But this is a do or die kind of season in terms of getting that full runway to do something for Miguel Sano. For sure. Uh, let's move on. Let's move on to Ian Happ. Speaking of guys that I'm going to go back to mm-hmm. the well on after getting burned, I mean, I got to do it. <laughs> Speaking of Javi, uh, Javi Baez. And, exactly. Yeah. Uh, we've already talked about it repeatedly about that that little trio of Baez, uh, Happ, and Albies. They were, they were going very close, and I was Happ-Albies all day long. Mainly Albies, so I didn't get super burned. I got the second mm-hmm. best of the group. But uh, got had plenty of half shares too, and I just wasn't getting Baez. Um, and of course, he was far and away the best of that trio. Hap now does come with an appropriate discount, at least. We yes. see some of these guys that you know don't pan out to the level that we hoped for, and then we don't see an appropriate mm-hmm. discount because the community, like at large, just says nope. We're all sticking with it. It's like dang, that's yeah. A lot of group it, think sometimes that yeah, really... you know, like uh, everyone, you know. Still gives me hell about Luis Castillo, and like I get it, there's I was super no hyped discount. On him. There's no discount, so it's mm-hmm. like uh, you, people are talking about both I think sides. That of their one's mouth. A, that one's a little different too, though, because he he did rebound as much as I like to give half. you give you crap about it. He did rebound in the second half, so I see why there's no discount. I'm just surprised there's no discount. Yeah, like. None uh, with, with with Castillo, but there is a substantial one with Hap. Well, and there's, come that, there's that drop off in the starting pitching that I think. Yeah, it's that that's off. kind of leading the way. Like for me, it's like it's the Correa thing where like like Correa. Sh- we should be getting a bigger discount on Correa, I think. Uh, but people just keep buying in. Who and, would you compare Correa to? No, I'm just kidding. We're not starting that again. <laughs> <laughs> um, Fourth podcast yeah, in a row. I had an you know. We talk about it, and we try to tell people not to do things like this. Doesn't mean we're not guilty of it, too. Mm-hmm. Some of the times we're talking to ourselves. I had the most effing confirmation bias possible. <laughs> the the first Ian pitch Hap of the year. <laughs> hit the first pitch of the season for a homer. I'm a genius. Oh, I'm so good at this game. I am the best at fantasy baseball. God, I'm so fucking smart. It's ridiculous. I can't. I can't help myself. Oh, I'm so good. I was so geeked. I'm like, this is a 30 homer season. Oh God, ah, it hurts being this smart. Like I was so amped. I, that, I think I bought that I Rotowire shirt that day. I don't think he hit another homer for the rest of the year. I think it was one yeah. homer. Only. No, <laughs> it felt uh, like course, it. Yep, yeah, right. I mean, he did hit nine, uh, 15 homers, eight steals. It was a bad season. He only hit 233. I will say this though. As bad as it was, and I'm not trying to sugarcoat it and say, oh, you know, it still was good. Struck out 36% of the time. Did walk 15%, though. Despite how poor the season went, you might be surprised to learn that Ian Happ had a 106 WRC+. plus. Like, he was still positive because of the walk rate, but that's still a quality skill, and getting on base matters. And so he was still able to score 56 runs um, despite, you know, not being very good overall and, and batting lower in the lineup because of it. Do we get, you know, one of the things I said with him over Baez was I felt he was more advanced at this point than Baez was at the same point in his career, so we wouldn't necessarily need the same trajectory. Well, maybe we're going to need the same kind of trajectory because um, you look at when Baez first came up, and that was another thing too. The first sample for Hap was better than what we saw from Baez. Remember, Baez had that first come up, it was 42% strikeout rate, he couldn't 
he couldn't uh, he couldn't hit a damn thing. He didn't know what the heck he was doing. And then uh, I think 2015 was an injury lost season. And then that might have been the season that his sister passed away, which was brutal uh, because he only played 28 games with the Cubs. But then 16 was, you know, middling. It was fine. 14 homers, 12 steals, cut the bet, cut the strikeout rate and everything. I was wondering if we could. And then he had basically the same season in 17, added some homers, but went from 94 to 98 WRC plus. I was wondering if maybe we could cut some of those steps because Hap felt more advanced. Well, it seems like we might be taking those steps. But do we get a leap this year? Can we get a jump to where he cuts the strikeout rate to something more manageable? And it's almost the same chatter that we're having with Sano. And then we see him take off. Like, what what do you see? What do you need out of Hap to where you're really going to feel confident about him? Can you see anything in a in a spring training strikeout rate that would that would make you confident? Because that is one stat that sh- that shows well uh, strikeout and walk rate. Uh, has been proven that if there are significant gains there, that can carry over into the uh, regular season. So what do you need to see from Hap to to drum up your excitement again? I'm definitely interested in watching him in spring training. And it's less about maybe his overall walk rate and overall strikeout rate uh, and more about just his kind of approach at the plate. I'd like to see him get a little bit more aggressive. Uh and maybe there's almost some passivity you're thinking. Yeah. I mean, you see that walk rate jump up the O swing really dipped down. Uh, I think maybe he just got a little bit too patient uh, and it, it kind of just made him a passive hitter. And, uh, and then it's, it's such a weird profile to see him strike out 36% of the time, but not swing outside the zone very much. Uh, so I think, yeah, maybe he just needs to become a little bit more aggressive. His swing, his swing percentage uh, dropped six and a half percent last year. I think he does. I think he needs to become a little bit more aggressive and kind of maybe swing in a few more first pitches. Do what he did in that first at bat. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know if it was because he was leading off a little bit that he wanted to give his you know guys on the team uh, the ability to see more pitches and you know help try to wear out the starter, uh, but. I think that was a mistake. My, my biggest fear, though, is that he's not going to get full-time playing time. Uh, and he's currently... Which is a concern with everyone, but what, Baez, Bryant, and Rizzo? Like, you, you much, have to have yeah. that concern with just about everybody else on the Cubs. And so, if he was getting full-time playing time, I would feel uh, a lot more comfortable. Uh, but right now, Roster Resource hasn't projected to be platooning in center field with Albert Almora and, and hitting it. Yeah, yeah. It's just, that's, oh, yeah, that's it's, deadly. It's... And especially for, you know, if I want him to be more aggressive, hitting out of the eight hole in front of a pitcher is unlikely to change that kind of approach. Yeah. Cause you're going to get thrown trash. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's, uh, I, that being said, I'm, I'm, I'm banking or I'm betting on the, the skills and the talent, uh, I've already taken him. I took him in my draft champions league that I just finished up uh, it, as my corner infielder because uh, corner infield got so thin in that draft so quickly. But I love the third base and outfield eligibility. Uh, that's a, that's a really nice combo right there. So I'm gonna have some more shares of Hap this year, but I definitely want to see uh, him become a little bit more aggressive at the plate. Yeah, I think that's a that's a fair cut there. And we talk about the, that line between patience and passivity with guys drumming up big walk rates just by not swinging and eventually, you know, getting the walk or 
having a keen eye, spitting on the on the good uh, on the pitcher's pitches, and then taking your shots when when you get them, even if that's early in account. And maybe Hap did kind of straddle that line and, and lean more toward the passive side. So keep an eye on Hap. I do like the discount. I will have some shares on the rebound bottom here. Bottom five percent x batting average and a uh, top five percent walk percentage in the league last year. Yeah. See. I, you gotta, you gotta think, and I'd love maybe like a hitting coach or, or somebody really mo- familiar with hitting to go through some of his at bats and, and figure out at where there are pitches that he laid off that, that he needs to be attacking mm-hmm. uh, for Ian Happ and, and maybe getting himself in. There was your pitch. Now you're deep in the count and you're going to get more junk and you're either going to flail or get the walk. So that, that is interesting. Maybe amping up your aggression a little bit. Uh, which might seem counterproductive, but for what you're saying, makes a lot of sense with mm-hmm. Ian Happ. All right, let's move on to uh, Jake Lamb. This is one of the ones that I'm probably going to take another shot on. Because um, well, you have his jersey. I understand. I do have his jersey. My girlfriend scooped it for me. She's like, I thought this jersey looked cute, and you've said this guy's name before. Do you want this? Yeah, and I, So I got you this jersey. I was like, great, love it. I loved Jake Lamb uh, in 16 and 17 when he was popping 29 and 30 homers. Mm-hmm. Here's hoping for a bounce back. And uh, and it is a cool it is a cool jersey that the, the I came around on the Diamondbacks new stuff by the way when it yeah, first came I out don't mind it the like dark gray like Thanos looking stuff where it was like that fade I didn't like that but just this you know, like the white jersey like the one I have that has like the blue trim and everything that that's tight I like that a lot so anyway not here to discuss the jersey let's talk about Jake Lamb obviously need health that's why it's a bounce back gamble. So if the shoulder has has health and and he's playing, we've seen thirty homers basically twice, twenty nine and, and thirty. I don't see any reason why we wouldn't see it again. Um, he's going to be at first base, so a little bit more out of harm's way in terms of uh, defensively. You know, if you're still on the field, you can still get hurt. But um, I kind of like him at first, not having to throw as much. I'm pretty excited about Jake Lamb at at, at his price right now, which is two sixty eight. Um, I think it's a gamble I'm going to be taking at the corner corner infield spots. What do you think about uh, old Ray Clam? I think I will take the gamble uh, a few times. I am worried about the about the shoulder because I mean it it obviously affected him greatly. Sapped everything. Yeah, I mean, brutal he, season. Like year. go look at his Statcast numbers and and see the difference between uh, while the exit velocity like was virtually the same. Like his launch angle just he could he couldn't make the same motion with. Uh, with his swing, and so his launch angle dropped uh, like over seven percent, uh, which is massive you know, for for a launch angle. Uh, all all the X stats took huge dips. Uh, it just he just wasn't healthy, and the question is, is he healthy now? And so I think mm-hmm. this is one of those guys that has the potential to jump up a ton in ADP if he's healthy. So my recommendation is. Uh, Try to get a share before spring training starts, just because it's really, really cheap, and uh, he could be worth a hundred picks more a month from now. So yeah, absolutely, and he could spike up. Like if he, we keep talking about it. Uh, um, who's the guy you always name? Oh, Mike Helfranco. If they have mm-hmm. a Mike Helfranco mm-hmm. spring training, or if Jake Lamb, yeah, yeah, if he clubs seven, eight homers in spring, that price is going to jump quickly because he does have the pedigree of of two thirty. Hom- I'm just going to call it two thirty homer seasons. Yeah, people love Ray Lamb. 
Um, he's a fun player. He's in a good park, even with the humidor. You can still you can still go yard there. Yeah, because so he'll be looking if, for a reason to take him. If he hits six home runs in spring training, aren't you taking him over Eduardo Escobar? Yep, that's absolutely hundred picks right there. So I mean, boom. That that's that's exactly what will happen. I mean, if he looks healthier, you. I'm gonna I'm just gonna throw some other names at you. If he looks healthy in spring training and he's rocketing the ball out out of out of parks, taking him over Mike Mustakis. Yeah, I think so. Well, I guess we should see where Mike Mustakis yeah. lands, but Homeless yeah, Mike I, I, I'm I'm predisposed to what about Jay Plant? No, I still like I still like Raphael Devers. Okay, so it's yeah, that, that's yeah. Devers is going 152. Uh, Mustakis is going 159. So, so we could boost him that high. And like yeah. you said, that's that's the 100 picks right there. Yeah. So that's Jake Lamb could skyrocket. And even his min pick right now is 195. So he's a stone's throw from it already on the min. And like you mentioned, folks like him, they'll be looking for a reason to take Lamb. And if if he shows a healthy shoulder in spring, watch out. All bets are off. All right, let's move on to our next guy here, Zach Kozart. Now, he looked like he was uh, you know, poised to have a nice second half of his career. He really he had the one breakout season in 17, but that wasn't the only uh only dose of quality that we got. He was pretty good in 16 before an injury, at least compared to what he had done. The 90 WRC plus doesn't really jump off the page, but the 16 homers in 508 plate appearances were more than he'd done in like 760 plate appearances the two years before. It was easily a career high uh, for Cozart. And then he he followed it up in 17 with the true full breakout, 297, 385, 548 with 24 homers, 80 runs, 63 ribbies. And then last year, grinded through 58 games with the Angels and just never really got going. And, uh, what was the injury that he had? I can't remember. Um, mm, I'll look it up. There's again, always something I, with him. Yeah, yeah, I just cannot uh, remember right now. Shoulder. Okay, so again, definitely one you want to see a subluxation of his left shoulder. Definitely something you want to see some positive reports on because of how much it can affect that newfound power for Cozart. But if he comes in healthy, I've talked about already a few times, I think that Angels lineup is pretty solid. Uh, runs top to bottom, he'll be batting like seventh. There should be some some decent uh, you know, RBI opportunities for a seven hitter. Not that he's going to get 100 ribbies or anything. But I think Cozart's a decent bounce back bet as well. If we get the, we we need to wait on him more. Like I'm not getting him in these February drafts because I need some info on the shoulder. But I think once we get into spring, if he's looking healthy and playing and and there's no setbacks or anything like that, I think I'm going to be in on Zach Cozart. I definitely am going to be in on him, and I'm going to be in on him in uh, certain kind of leagues, uh, Yahoo leagues, where he's going to have second, short, and third eligibility. Uh, because he played, I think, like 13 at, at second and f- or four, 14 at second and 13 at shortstop uh, or 15 at shortstop. So he's going to have uh, eligibility in Tout Wars, I think, at shortstop or no, at second. So uh, okay. I like that positional eligibility. He probably will move around the diamond if he's healthy again, uh, giving guys days off and picking up eligibilities. I've always really liked Zach Cozart. It, it's just about health for me. If if that shoulder is healthy, uh, the bats projection of 22 home runs with a 251, 322, 431 triple slash. Oh, that plays. Yeah, that that plays. And I mean, even depth charts has him at you know 18 home runs. That that's not bad for where where he's going. It, mm-hmm. It's just gonna be uh, it's just gonna be health and. 
Just got to see a sign of, of mm-hmm. some health from Zach Cozart, but and, and I we'll agree. jump like, back in. Lamb's one of those guys that I'll, uh, that I'll take the gamble before I see him. Cozart's not, because I, even if Cozart's healthy, uh, I don't think his ADP is jumping up a ton either way. One one thing I will say, Cozart is uh, much cheaper ADP-wise. Mm-hmm. This is where we start to get the jumbled ADPs. Like It doesn't follow that he's like right behind Jake Lamb. Lamb's at 268, Cozart all the way down at 427. This is where I started to group the guys regardless of, of ADP. So that is interesting for Cozart. Let's jump on to the next guy, which I, I'm pretty sure we both like. Um, and if he gets his, his act together off the field, then nah. Jung Ho Gung, you're not, you're not in? No. For some reason, I thought you were back in. Um, he is back. And he has going to have a chance to play. He did play, you know, three games last year, so he officially was back then. But he hasn't really played Major League Baseball for two years. Yeah, six plate appearances in 17 and 18 combined. But the last time we saw him, he was putting up a 255, 354, 513 line with 21 homers, 62 runs batted in, and uh, 45 runs in just 103 games. Tell me why why you're why you're fully out on him. Is it is it the personal uh, the the I think it's alcohol issues off the field, or do you not do you yeah, not see the it, playing time, et cetera? What what do you got? I think it's a combination of everything. It, it's the this off the field stuff. I mean, aside from the alcohol issues, uh, which plagued him and uh and, and pretty much put him out for two years. He had that sexual assault charge, right, uh, as well. Uh, he is right now projected to be on the short side of a platoon. Uh, he hasn't played, I mean, really hasn't played baseball in two years. Like, the three games in, in minor league stuff doesn't matter that much. And not only that, like, the Pirates have guys in their upper minors that are going to be up at some point this year all over the infield. So they've got Kevin Kramer, uh, Key Brian Hayes. Uh, these guys are going to come up, you know, maybe even Steven Almas. Uh, these guys are Kramer and Hayes are both top prospects. Uh, Kevin Newman as well. Um, Cole Tucker, like they've got a ton of guys in triple a that are going to be up and contributing this year. This is why the pirates didn't go and resign Josh Harrison. That's, this is why they didn't go and sign any kind of middle real middle infield help is because they've got it coming. Um, and when it comes, I think that, uh, gong is pretty much done in, major league baseball okay at least, at, least, so, at least in pittsburgh you're you're not feeling it with jung ho gung um it's going to be kind of interesting to follow in spring he doesn't have a, a guaranteed job right now but we've seen the bat be strong before it, it is definitely a major gamble and uh, he is coming at a 474 adp so we'll keep an eye on jung ho gung to see if anything changes there but you're not really you're not really giving it any attention right now and i i can understand that i can totally understand that all right let's move on to the uh, useful for deep leagues tier here and we'll start with the aforementioned michael franco and he could be interesting because his his fate could change on a dime mm-hmm. if they get manny machado, machado yeah. uh, all of a sudden you know he goes way down or maybe even gets traded because i i don't know that he's not great and, I've, and this guy, I've had a soft spot for. You talk about your Sano soft spot. I've had soft spot for Michael Franco and just keep getting my... Uh, oh, I've, my, I fell for it too. My mediocre 20 homer seasons <laughs> that we've been getting 25, 24, 22. At least he hit 270 last year. But it's, it's just it's, it's pretty meh as well if we're, if we're talking about the meh group. But um, yeah, and so I think he might be too good to be a bench guy. So if they did get Machado, maybe that would facilitate a, a trade to get Franco back into a, a playing time situation. 
but they don't have Machado right now. So let's assume that he's playing starting third baseman. He's still only 26. He has 2,111 plate appearances. He doesn't strike out. He's shown the power. It did take a jump last year with the not a career best 196 ISO because he did play the 80 games in 2015 at 217, but it's his full season best. So are you still going to fall for Franco or are you moving on? No, I'm moving on. I just I I, I can't I can't be burnt again. <laughs> this this guy hits eight home runs every spring training, and we yes, all go does. crazy. Uh, you know, I fell for it really hard that one year where his ADP started getting up into like the top seventy-five. Uh, I think was it two thousand sixteen, two thousand seventeen. Yeah. Either way, I just, I don't believe it. The crazy thing is, last year was kind of his best year. He hit two seventy on top of. Uh, hitting the 22 home runs in just 131 games played. That being said, I do think the Phillies will uh, land Machado. Um, I mean, they're going to land Machado or Harper, but I think uh, even if they don't land him, they need a place for Scott Kingery to play. Uh, yes. So he's going to lose play. Franco's going to lose playing time that uh, that way. Uh, I think the Phillies are pretty much over him and just don't have a better option full time right now for it. But I would not be surprised if even if they don't get Machado, that Kingery unseats him at some point. Yeah, I think that that's that's fair. We've talked about uh, liking Kingery as as a late pickup on a post type buyback. I'm still going to stick with Franco though. If, yeah. if they don't get Machado, I'm going to take my I'm going to take my my Michael Franco gambles at 280. A couple of them at least. You know, we play enough leagues that you and I actually get shares of guys because uh, you know. Mm-hmm. hats off to those of you who only play two, three leagues. That's awesome. I almost wish I could. And I'm sure you guys are like, well, then just don't play as many. Uh, sorry, I can't. And there are certain <laughs> things that I'm just committed to. And I'm going to, I, I've pared down in recent years, but I'm still going to be playing leagues. So I'll, I'll be able to kind of spread out and, uh, and, and get a few guys that I just want to make sure I'm, I've got a little, little juice I, on. And Michael Franco someone I have a hard time quitting. I did uh, last night with Joe Pizapia. Uh, we, we turned the tables for my oh, I downloaded podcast. It. I'll be listening later this afternoon. And we, you know, we talked about the fact that I'm, um, I'm a recovering alcoholic and addict and stuff. And he asked me if fantasy sports were like an addiction uh, for me, and I pretty much said no. But like the whole like the the whole idea like oh I, I really need to quit, I really need to cut back, and then all of a sudden I'm in twenty leagues. It's like <laughs> like if, if that's not a sign of addiction, I don't know what is. I guess, but um, yeah, no, I, I I can't stop. Every year I say I'm going to cut back on leagues, and then I end up in more leagues than I was the year before. See- I've actually done it. I've 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 done a good job of of peeling back some. Do you feel and, and not like withdrawal symptoms from it? Um, like does your skin you know, itch? Is it a withdrawal or, if you're like, in your in your uh, in your bathtub in a fetal position scratching yourself? Is that a withdrawal yeah, symptom? Yeah, that would be a sign of withdrawal. Yeah, or like yes. your bones hurt. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. And I'm like vomiting and sweating for no reason. Yeah. That that's okay. that's it. That that's okay. the feeling. You need one more league, man. Just one more. I, I just one more league. Mr. Mr. Joe Rogan guy more than fantasy leagues. <laughs> Tyrone Bickums. Uh, all right, let's move on to Brian Anderson. We talked about this. Uh, who did I just mention as a rookie? Uh, who was it? Who was it? Who was it? Oh, Wendell. This is kind of the NL version. A, a, a lighter crop of of great rookies might have 
garnered Brian Anderson more attention for Rookie of the Year, but he just got outclassed by an, an amazing group. So he had a solid season, particularly you know with Miami. It was one of the few bright spots. 273, 357, 400 slash line with 11 yaks, 65 runs driven in, 30, uh, 87 runs, which is pretty nice, um, especially that's kind of a hidden value there for yeah, Brian Anderson. I'm surprised they scored 87 runs in it, Miami last precisely, year. Precisely, precisely. And uh, I think he has outfield eligibility as well. So he's another dual eligible guy here. We got a lot of dual eligibles down here. And you've repeatedly mentioned how valuable that's going mm-hmm. to be. I've always found it valuable, but this year extra. Um, what do you think of what do you think of Anderson now in his second year? You know, this team, they're they're obviously working on a rebuild. Ideally, they should take a step forward. This right, it won't necessarily be a big one, but if if they're rebuilding an inch, an these prospects, forward, yeah. yeah, they should they should slowly inch forward. They did just sign the best player in baseball, Curtis Granderson, and um, you know, I I really whoa hope that he whoa when did that them. happen? Oh, it happened before the show. I, as much as I love Curtis, I wasn't sure it was super fantasy relevant. That's why we didn't. He's going to be leading it. off according to roster. Wow, yeah, I see that right now. Well, Curtis Granderson signed. I. I I love Curtis Granderson, my favorite player ever. I really hope he can take Lewis Brinson. And they under hate Peter O'Brien. As they, they should. Su- they signed Neil Walker. Not <laughs> Neil Walker way better. Yeah, I know, but like, give the kid a chance. I mean, what? Yeah. what, what Twenty nine. What, what's the point? Like, what's the point of signing a thirty eight year old Curtis Granderson? You shut your stupid mouth right <laughs> now, young man. No one's laughing. You shut. <laughs> like I don't like. Like You're from a team concept, like mouth. like now they have Austin Dean and Peter O'Brien both on their bench. Look, Peter O'Brien's twenty nine. He's trashed. Give y'all stop. Stop with the Peter O'Brien. I understand you don't need Curtis Granderson taking a, a boatload of time, but in terms of ushering in a young crop, you can't really get a better team leader. And I do think even a young team still needs some leadership around some some veteran guys now He's you might teach say them how to wear his hat wear their hats yeah, you might say they already had that with martin prado and neil walker and i would understand that how many do they really need i don't know i don't know what the right number is i haven't gone through a 162 game season on a major like, this league isn't team. even a young team like, like their starting lineup that's, that's the thing it's, it's really <laughs> it's, not uh, it's, because they ha- they haven't really called up like they, they they don't have a great system either no they it's don't just, they're they're a mess they're a mess I, I think Curtis, though, as a, as a team, if they are planning to bring up a bunch of minor leaguers this year and 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 teach them the ropes, you can't get a better guy. But um, Brian Anderson is actually going to be in the heart of that order, and lineup context does matter. And even a bad lineup is going to put up runs, like we just talked about. He scored eighty-seven runs, and the guys in front of him are going to get on base, particularly if they don't trade Real Muto. Mm-hmm. Anderson can get on base, Castro and Real Muto. That's actually not a bad top three ahead of Anderson against right-handers. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? Uh, is he somebody that you're interested in then? Yeah, and NL only, for sure, uh, especially because he's going to play every day. Uh, I think even 15-team mix, he is an interesting guy because I think he can hit for average. I, I know the projection systems have him regressing a little bit in the average department. Uh, I mean, he, he walks. He doesn't strike out you know, a ton. It's... Uh, it's not like a super sexy profile, but I think if, especially in your super deep formats, he's a guy who's going to accumulate statistics and that's what you need in those leagues. Yeah, exactly. And so you get a guy like Brian Anderson, kind of just late glue guy. That's just going to put volume up. He had 670 plate appearances last year. If he stays healthy, there's no reason he won't get another boatload of, of appearances like that. 
and and you look up at the end of the year and you're like, I got, you know, $10 out of that player. And you, you probably only got him for like two, particularly in a mixed league. He's not going to be expensive uh, because there's not a ton of upside. I'm actually going to look up right now exactly how much he earned last year. It was actually a $16 season yeah, according see? to the uh, forecaster. And so, you know, this is a, a single digit guy, a five. I have an under type of guy that you're going to get plus 10 profit on. So yeah, I think he's uh, a that guy that, all, that could potentially end up on my team at NL Tout. Yep. Especially I don't think with positional eligibility. I don't think every guy needs to be flashy, sexy, super high upside pick. No. Sometimes you're just getting somebody who's stable, playing all the time, and you can set it and forget it. Well, And that's the you, thing. Like I think people, especially, we talk a lot of NFBC leagues because the ADP is uh, much more reliable than I think maybe other uh, other sites, uh, and I think the idea is always like oh, in my draft champions league. I need to get upside. Every pick's got to have upside. If I want to win the overall, I have to have upside. And Rob Silver told me, you know, on a, a pod that I did uh, with him, that like the year he won, he just he got a bunch of really steady contributors and took advantage of other people reaching for upside and grabbing guys who are on bounce bags uh, or stable uh, at bat and uh, and plate appearance guys. And I think Anderson's one of those guys. Like you want to, you want to get upside, sure, but you also want to mix in some safety because if you get fifty percent of your team is upside plays, only half of those guys may pan out. If that, you need someone to back up for the ones who don't. And Anderson's one of those guys. Exactly. Exactly. I, I totally agree with that. On Brian Anderson, let's move on um, to Isaiah, Isaiah Kiner Falefa, and I believe we talked about him. When we talked about uh, catcher, mm-hmm. and that's really where you should play him. But I went ahead and put him on here just because he's eligible. He is eligible at catcher, third and second. I picked him up as my catcher two in my he's draft a C2, champions. though. Yeah, yeah. You, you, if you're going to draft him and you don't play him at C two, I just think you're wasting it. So, um, but I any, mean, any additional thoughts catcher. on him? What? Unless you've punted catcher, like I missed out Isn't on catcher. Isn't he a punt though? Isn't he a punt to be? A- yeah, but like I mean, it, like I, I, I paired him and Tyler Flowers together in my draft champions. That's what I'm saying, though. You shouldn't play him anywhere but catcher. Oh, oh, okay. I'm, I'm saying mis- if, you, if you're not you playing him at catcher, you're wasting mm-hmm. drafting him. Oh, yeah. No, there's no yeah, reason. Yeah. If you're playing him at a different position other than catcher, then things have gone horribly wrong. Somewhere. Yes. You're yes. either super injured and he's the only person on your, you know, your team that you can fill in or you have drafted poorly. Um, so, uh, but I, I do like him as a catcher this year. Um, yeah, kind of Falefa as a catcher, gets a little bit of speed as well. Should play, mm-hmm. doesn't strike out a ton. Could he, could even improve the batting average. And He's the, decent. I love the catchers that play other positions cause they're going to rack up more plate appearances than most bingo. And they're out of harm's way mm-hmm. more often than, uh, guys who, who catch full time. And that offense isn't bad in, in, in Texas. They're, it's really not. And the pitching still plays well. atrocious. We've talked about the uh, we've talked about the the architectural differences that that make it less of a hitter's park, but that doesn't mean it's not a hitter's park. It's just not the especially uber when, launch. Yeah, when it warms up in the summer, it, it you can launch things. Exactly. Let's move on to Johan Camargo, who uh, is already getting comps to this year's uh, Marwin Gonzalez because mm-hmm. he's been he's been displaced a bit based on the moves they've made, primarily Josh Donaldson. He's another guy. He, he's kind of in that uh, Brian Anderson mold of what he did last year. He just put up a heck of a year, 272, 349, 457, 19 homers, 76 ribbies, and 63 runs, almost a supercharged 
uh, Brian Anderson type season with third base and then even shortstop eligibility last year. Like I said, he gets displaced by Donaldson for mm-hmm. a starting role. Injuries do crop up, though. The idea that you know every team is just going to stay fully healthy is is false. Donaldson himself, of course, has been dealing with injuries, mm-hmm. but in the meantime, he's going to bounce around everywhere, and he could even take more time from your boy, your favorite player in in the history of baseball, Dansby Swanson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dansby's glove is the only thing that's really keeping him there. It's certainly not his bat. So I think Camargo's still a pretty interesting pick late because the price has come down with the idea that he's not going to play time. He's now picked three thirty on average. That I like that. I like it too, especially because, like you said, he's going to play everywhere. So uh, he's going to have some multi-position eligibility, uh, which is nice. And I, I can't, I can't say that I don't believe in Dansby Swanson and not say that you know potentially his backup could have some value. So uh, if Swanson continues to struggle, uh, you could see Camargo playing full time at shortstop at some point. So uh, I think he, I think. In terms of fantasy, like the best thing possible was that uh, the Braves signed Donaldson because while he's not going to play as much, the price has dropped considerably. Yep. Yep. Fully agreed there on, on Camargo. It's pretty straightforward. It's just if you're interested in him, uh, you, you should definitely you should definitely take a look. Let's move on to Evan Longoria, kind of running to the other side of the spectrum here, a, a crusty veteran who's going to play a ton, but, mm, you know, what, what does it really matter? <laughs> Obviously, he's out there with – How dare you? <laughs> I know, I know, I'm such a jerk. Listen, I've I've always been a fan because uh, I really enjoyed watching him play in in Tampa Bay when he was a superstar. Longoria is one of the more fun players to watch. Gregarious guy, seems like a good dude from from everything we get on on TV and whatnot. And I I was kind of hoping for a, a good second act too. He seems like somebody. Remember when he used to have kind of health injuries? And by the way. When you look back on his career, he used to be tabbed as like an injury guy. If you remember that, that was that was what he had. I think that was a BS tag, by the way. I think that was just living was, in the moment of 2011, 2012. It was two seasons. Yeah, it's weird and that he one even of got which, that tag. Right? One of which he hit 31 homers and had 99 ribbies despite only playing yeah. 133 games. Well, so then, yeah. He got 574 plate appearances that year. Yeah, like 12 was, was a busted season. Mm-hmm. Uh, he only played 74 games. But the idea that he was some injury-riddled guy, it was always weird. But that's the direct opposite of what he is now. He's been a stalwart. He had 156 games for five straight seasons until last year's 125. Of course, the park doesn't make things any better either. That seems to exacerbate. You know how we talk about uh, playing I don't think Cooper's. it's the park, though, because – AT&T, or what are they calling it, Oracle Park now? Oracle now. Uh, it, it doesn't play that as hard as people think on, on right-handed hitting. Um, it's really it's really lefties that really get crushed there. He had a 615 OPS at home and 757 on the road. Oh, okay. It's three X as I many homes. I think he just sucks now. I mean, I hate to say it, but so this is like the, the thing of it archer is, of hitters where people we talk still about, buy into the name. We talk about if you play in Coors and you're a hitter, you can kind of uh, mask or or slow the aging process, right? Because it's going to mask some of it. Goes the other way if you're a hitter going to AT and T, though. That's going to exacerbate the fall offs, right? A a slight strikeout gain and a walk decrease is going to be exacerbated by playing in that in that cavern. And we saw it last year uh, because he was so br- he was unplayable at home and like mediocre on the road, seven fifty seven with twelve homers. So. I- do think it hurt. I agree with your general point about it is tougher on lefties. 
particularly for home runs than right-handers, but it's it's a tough park no matter what. That wind is just devastating. So even the dimensions the aren't as important as the wind and the seagulls. So um, I don't think he flat-out sucks, but he, he's still with the Giants. So until they trade him, I just can't drum up that much interest for Evan Longoria. They're, they're not going to be able to trade him. Like, they took on that no, contract. No, this contract is insane. <laughs> like, I don't... I don't know why they thought taking on that contract was great because he's like got oh god he signed through 2022 in an option year. Um, please say it's a team option. Okay, it's a team option at least. But the team no, option is so cheap that they're gonna pick it up because it's a 13 million dollar option or or five million dollar buyout. So it's like well so yeah, what's way eight million? Oh Jesus! I just. This oh, is hey, at least really long at least year. your team's gonna get uh, Jacoby Ellsbury. That sounds yeah. fun, right? You know, yeah. Jason texted us that yesterday, I was and laughing. like, I was like, "What?" And then I checked check Twitter. I was like, "Oh my god!" If this, it, it, it it's it's kind of poetic justice for me because if, if anybody knows me on Twitter or sees me on Twitter and stuff, like I, I troll Dodgers fans all the time. Vlad, our, our buddy Vlad, correct? Sedler gets a brunt of it. Um, and I used to love Jacoby Ellsbury, so getting him, getting the shell of Jacoby Ellsbury traded to us would be, uh, and that being their big move. Not only that, like, uh, for those who don't know, like, they're close to finalizing a deal to let the Raiders play there, which will tear up the field conditions late in the year. Did you see, uh, Brandon Crawford's message? No. One of the beat writers was like... I think it was a beat writer. Like those are gonna be some sweet hops in September, mm-hmm. and he just sent like three sad emojis. Like, ugh, are you uh, effing kidding it's me? It's the worst. Like, I just it, this is gonna be a really, really ugly year. This is why I'm probably playing more fantasy leagues. It's to like pick up <laughs> Hide the pain. Yeah, because I, I I need some winning somewhere in my life, and it's definitely not gonna be with my Giants, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, As a Tigers fan, I can relate. So th- that dude who who commented on on. Uh, one of the po- one of the uh, podcast posts about me being too big of a Giants homer. This is the year. This is the year you should tune you in. You can get away from it. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm. Yeah, I will not. I don't know that there is a single ju- offensive player on the Giants that I want to own this year. No, I mean that I can get Posey at his price in in some situations, I'm, but I'm not, not like not until I see him. him healthy. Not, I mean, hip injury. You know, we don't know if he's going to be ready for opening day. Sure. Uh. Yeah, I, I I want nothing to do with any any giant offensive player. I think um, I've always had a soft spot for Joe Panic in second base. Yeah. Kind of sucks. I could see getting him late, but that's really it for some batting average potential. But it's not great. It's I don't think great. Joe Panic's on that team for the whole year either. I think that they well, they haven't made any moves yet. So until I see them actually make a freaking move, I I don't know that I'm gonna buy it because I'm I'm pretty surprised that that they've been they, so they stagnant. They re-signed Derek Holland. And, and got and Drew Pomeranz and Brandon Beachy. I mean, they have they have made some decent pitching. Like that's the one thing they don't really need, though. You can put anybody out there in that well, stadium, I, and that's what I don't get because, like, now Derek Rodriguez and Andrew Suarez aren't going to be in the rotation. Yeah, so it's like, so why, why? I don't hate those moves in a vacuum. It looks like Rodriguez is still going to be in though. They're going Bumgarner, Samarja, Holland, D. Rod, Pomeranz. Yeah, but Rodriguez is the one who's not good. Suarez is the one who could be really interesting. Oh, please. Oh, please. Rodriguez is better than Suarez. Oh, no. No, no, For no. Sure. No, For no, sure. no. For sure. Just, just For stop sure. it. No, Rodriguez. Rodriguez is good. He needs to pare down his, his arsenal a bit. He's really not that bad. 
Oh, I like Suarez more. Eh, he's not that I think good. Rodriguez right. is a long man. Let's uh, let's move on to speaking of uh, our our beloved teams that we no longer <laughs> can generate much excitement from. Although we're 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 further along in the process. I knew yours was coming, man. Uh, oh, you know, yeah, it, well, it and ours is going to be a lot longer process than everybody else's because well, we sacrificed so much stupid, to win those championships. Yeah. yeah, you can have your stupid championships. We never ended up getting one for my beloved Tigers. But Heimer Candelario is one of the pieces that who's come over in the rebuild, and he was pretty solid last year. He ended up having an injury that kind of derailed his season. There, There is kind of that cutoff of the injury where uh, his production went down. But he's an interest. He's an interesting guy. I do like him. I actually wrote him up in the uh, in the forecaster here. So I'm just gonna go through that just real quickly here. He had a fast start. He had an 894 OPS through two months, but it fizzled into a mediocre season. Left wrist tendonitis cost him two weeks in May, and likely played played a role the rest of the way. His second half slug was terrible. Contact issues were new as he fanned just 17% of the time in the minors. Health and opportunity could still bring mid 20s pop if the career contact rate and first half uh, expected power return. So that was my cap in the forecaster, basically saying that health derailed what was starting to be a solid season. He'd never really shown strikeout issues before in the minors and whatnot. So if that's if that's something that's just new and uh, not going to stick around, that could help as well. He's going to be 25. He should have all the playing time in the world. Um, the Tigers lineup is not good, but if he's leading off the way roster resource thinks, again, we talk about whether it's a good team or not position matters and if you're in the top four and let's say they don't trade casty and Miggy gets some health well then all of a sudden they're like kind of like the marlins where their top four isn't too bad because i do like Kristen stewart as an obp power guy as well and so candy will be behind those three if he gets on base at a decent clip he had a 317 obp despite only hitting 224 so bounce him up a little bit i don't know i don't hate him i, I i'm trying not to be too homerish uh you know he's not excellent or anything but i think he could put up a a brian anderson type season where you exchange actually a lot like brian anderson season because he scored more runs than ribbies last year this year i think anderson will flip but i think we could see um he had 78 runs last year despite only a 317 obp he could push 90 this year i think if he bats first and gets that obp up to like 330 for candelaria what do, what do you think of the 25 year old switch hitter I think if we are to believe the injury really plagued him, then we are looking at a guy who is extremely undervalued. So, I mean, you look at the numbers that he was putting up before. Uh, he was in 286, 367, 521 with a 236 ISO. After, he was in 207, 301, 355 with a 148 ISO. Hey. So I tend to kind of think he's probably a little bit in between that but i think i think he's a guy that should hit 20 home runs in a full if he's healthy this he's year he still popped 19 last yeah. year so imagine if candelario doesn't get hurt maybe he's pushing mid-20s at that maybe, point maybe so, he's like a 200 iso guy and we're looking at a guy who could hit 27 28 home runs yeah i i agree i was really impressed that the first couple months i was so excited about him you guys might not remember and it was I never, never, ever believed that I can. This is not hindsight. I can say it, but the Tigers were actually like lingering for the mm -hmm. first couple of months in the standings because they had a 15 and 14 uh, May, and I was like, "Stop, stop, <laughs> stop!" There's not going to be any wild. There's not going to be any stop. But the one bright spot that I did like was that Candelario was playing really well, and then of course he had the wrist tendonitis, which I think did linger even when he came back. Um, but yeah, I, you know, if they don't trade Casty, uh, Nick Castellanos. 
and Miggy returns healthy, which I'm expecting slash hoping for. All of a sudden, you got a decent you got a decent group behind him that can drive mm-hmm. in because I do like Kristen Stewart as well. So Candelario could actually pop mid twenties homers and score a bunch of runs. A interesting leadoff hitter with pop. Um, so I'll be interested uh, to scoop him in a few leagues. He's very cheap. Uh, he's on the Tigers. You know, Tigers are an afterthought. He's picked three forty nine. I'm I mean, certainly yeah, taking three, him over yeah. Longoria. Three forty nine. Like, can you really? You know, I, I, he's going to play. At 349, you're just looking for plate appearances. Exactly. And he is going to play, and it's going to be in the top four of the order, regardless of, like, what happens. I don't see any real scenario. Um, outside, a cratering would probably mean another injury anyway. So if he just puts the skills that we've seen from Candelario, he's going to be in the top four. So he's a pretty decent pickup. He's a corner type, uh, AL only especially. Uh, but your deeper league's very useful. All right, let's move on to Yandy Diaz. And Ooh. I really want to know what you think here because, again, talking about our boys at Roster Resource, they don't even have him on the Major League roster right now. They don't have a spot for him. With the Avi Garcia signing, I think that that really puts Yandy Diaz in limbo. Now, they traded Jake Bowers for him, somebody that they had preached some love for, and then the next day they they're flipping him, and Diaz was the return. We know what he can do. He's, got, he's yoked to... All, all get out. He's, He's super got muscles buff. like me, yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know who he looks like? Uh, did you ever see the picture? You might have seen this one because he was on, y'all, on y'all's team. L- the L- Ron Landry pictures when oh, he yeah. was with the Redskins. Oh, and yeah. he was just I'm a obviously huge steroided out. Yeah, oh. like, um, you know, just chiseled out mm-hmm. of freaking granite. It was insane. Yandy Diaz cuts that figure. And uh, so you would expect a lot of great Power for that, but we haven't seen it because his launch angle is horrific. He has no idea how to lift the ball, but he's a few changes away from maybe being a mid twenties power guy himself. But where's the playing time? What do you think of Yandy Diaz? Talk to us about him now in Tampa Bay. Well, when they made this trade, I think we talked, or maybe I talked about it with Jason, and I, I pointed out that he uh, actually has a or had a four point four launch angle last year. Oh my god, dude, that's so, so bad. In 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 context, for those who don't know, uh, the average Major League Baseball launch angle last year was ten point nine. And yeah, good good four, to give a context. And four point four point four, which gave horrific. him a career one point nine. <laughs> that soared his his uh, his overall. Yeah, I mean, he loves hitting the ball on the ground. Does Yandy Diaz? Yeah. He has a fifty seven percent ground ball rate, a twenty one percent career fly ball rate. Now, it's not as easy as just saying lift the ball, right? Like we we armchair some of this, we being the general baseball community, and, and sometimes mm-hmm. you know coaches and, and players who are in it just laugh at, at our stupidity of like, oh, if it were that freaking easy, dude, yeah. you know, just hit against the shift. Just hit doubles down the line against the shift. Don't be a loser, dude. This guy's only throwing 99. Just, hit, just do it, right? So it's not as easy as just doing it. But surely there are some adjustments that Diaz can make to at least get it up to maybe that average level or even even 8% would double what he did last year and should deliver some homers. And can we get like a 17-homer kind of season? Like what, what do you see out of Diaz here? Well, Where does the playing time come from? If they could fix his launch angle, I mean this is a guy who's with his eg- exit velocity could easily be a 30-home run bat in his strength. Mm-hmm. So that being said, one of the things I didn't mention when we talked about him during the trade uh, that's just really occurring to me now, uh, it may be hard to believe this, but at one point I powerlifted, um, and I was in really, really good shape. Uh, I benched over 400 pounds. 
Uh, I was, you know, I work out three, four hours a day. Uh, and so like, like I understand like what it means to like put that much kind of work into your body, but there is a difference between strength and functional strength. And I almost wonder if he has worked out to the point you see this, like go look at a lot of bodybuilders, especially ones that self train and Mm -hmm. see that they can't extend their arm the entire way because (laughs) they've, they've, they've lifted themselves out of functionality yes because they're when you lift like that you need to work really really hard on your flexibility otherwise your tendons tend to get tight and short and that's why you see guys who have massive biceps and not a lot of muscles on their lower body uh have a hard time extending their arms the entire way and they kind of walk around like they're flexing they may not actually be doing that what they're doing is they've they've shortened the length of their tendons that's wild. Um, you see, you see it all. You see it all the time with, kind of like I said, like the the guys who kind of bodybuild or power lift uh, by themselves and not with like a pr- proper uh, a trainer. Um, and I almost wonder if part of the reason he has a hard time changing that launch angle is because he's so muscular and so strong. Yeah. And so, obviously, the Rays saw something in him. And made a point of going and trading for him because I think they think that they can fix him. And the Rays are an organization that has a pretty good track record in terms of, you know, bringing guys, ter- making tweaks and making them better. So we pay attention when they do things mm-hmm. for a reason, right? You don't just assume that they're going to make fixes, but when they there are certain organizations when they do something and acquire a player, you want to see what comes of it. Yeah. Uh, that being said, he is completely blocked. That that the Avisel Garcia signing has blocked him however it, it, danny duffy's not staying in anybody's way well matt duffy probably or, isn't yeah either. Dan, Dan, matt duffy danny duffy <laughs> sorry my bad <laughs> there has to be one an episode where i just completely butcher <laughs> just get the wrong player but yeah that, that's a good point uh matt duffy is currently penciled in at third base and i don't know that he does enough to where and, it's like and, wow and daniel robertson may not be you know he he had off-season surgery for something so maybe he's a guy that uh isn't ready for opening day or could get sent down because he has options if Yandy Diaz makes changes and fixes things, he's going to be on this roster. But and it's kind of maybe better that if that he's not, because that means he's not fixed, and you don't have to worry about investing in him. Well, and he's only got one. He's in his last option too, so maybe they don't want to, you know, start and, and put him on the roster to start, and then have to send him down. Yeah. Right. So um, that that is interesting with Yandy Diaz, but it does keep the price down, right? So it if does. you do want to get him. Uh, now draft in NFBC, I wouldn't yeah. because without draft oh, champions, where you go, NFBC, oh, NFBC okay. main event and online. No, I'm not doing it there because I'm you doing only have it seven reserve spots. But but draft and hold, I absolutely would. Yeah, because you're talking about pick 388. Draft and hold, uh, best balls. Yes, that's exactly the kind of spot that you want to take that shot because of the volatility, the upside that that uh, Yandy Diaz does have. So I, I do agree there. Uh, let's move on to the prospects here, and we're going to just group this together and kind of get your general thoughts on, on the group as a whole. And you can just maybe do a quick hitter on all of them. Uh, it's basically the, the tag is prospects besides Vlad. And it's Nick Senzel. Uh, Austin Riley from Atlanta, Nick Senzel from Cincinnati, Austin Riley from Atlanta, Cabrian Hayes from Pittsburgh, Ryan Mountcastle from Baltimore, and Michael Chavis from Boston. Why don't you just give us a quick hit thought on each of them and, and whether or not you're drafting them this year? Nick Senzel 
if he has gotten over the Vertiger issues, is a stud. Okay. And uh, he's likely to compete and potentially play center field this year uh, for the Reds. Uh, he's going to start with, I think, I think he starts with second base eligibility in some yeah, leagues. Yeah, he actually does start with third base. Yeah, he's and he's not going to get NFC. third base eligibility. So um, we probably should talk about him on a different pod. But That's fair. I listed him there because I, I went to a, a website of third base prospects and he was number one. But you're right. He doesn't even qualify there and, right now. Senzo. Different sites are going to have him different places. So just be kind of uh, in tune with where he's starting because he'll gain outfield eligibility uh, at some point. There has been talk already that he is the front runner for the opening day center fielder job, and which means uh, Scott Shebler, Jesse Winkler uh, could find themselves odd men out, and I know there are a lot of people who like Winker this year. So. Probably Shebler, yeah, because Winker, uh, people well, love but they've him. got Kemp. They've got they've got a lot of guys. Like they're gonna have to find and time. And Puig, Puig's, well, Puig's, Puig's gonna playing. play every day. So and Kemp's and if, gonna play a lot. Like he yeah. wasn't bad last year, so he's gonna get an opportunity. You're right. Well, you're, you're pretty right. much gonna. Ha- and then they still have Philip Irvin. Like they're gonna be rotating a lot of guys into that one spot if Senzel claims the center field job. He probably mm-hmm. won't do it opening day. They'll send him down and get that extra year of service time. But he's a guy that, like I said, if the vertebrae issues are gone, uh, he should be up by the end of April and be an everyday player. He, you, you should be grabbing him in the majority of your formats. If, if you're not going to stash Vlad or stash uh, Eloy, Nick Senzel, I think, is probably next on the list of hitters. The market's there. They got him at 238, so he's easily the most expensive of this group. Let's move over to Austin Riley. Obviously, we talked about Johan Camargo being blocked by Josh Donaldson's arrival. It obviously pushes Riley out even further. He's 523. He's, an, he's a draft afterthought right now. But what do you think uh, about his prospects this year? It, you, you know, And is he somebody that you're interested in in Dynasty? How do you feel about Austin Riley? I'm definitely interested in him in in dynasty he he took a step back last year and i think that's one of the reasons why the braves went out and made the josh donaldson signing that being said uh he he was gonna need probably half season of seasoning anyways in triple a and what who knows if donaldson can stay on the field so this is a guy to definitely kind of keep an eye on and don't forget about but outside of your draft and hold leagues i'm not drafting him yeah, keep tabs on Austin Riley. You don't really need to do much this year, but know the name because if he comes up, mm-hmm. he's going to be hot on the waivers for sure. Keep Ryan Hayes. You talk about not really liking Jung Ho Gung. He's not even starting with a role. Uh, Brian Hayes is another reason that he might not play um, mm-hmm. if if he doesn't like hit the ground running with with his batting himself. But Colin Moran has the job right now. Brian Hayes, age twenty one. Had a full year at Double A last year and was pretty solid, so he's going to be in Triple A and just a call away at age 22. He is Charlie Hayes' son. Uh, you may remember him, former oh, first I didn't rounder. Know that. Yeah, top 50 kind of prospect. What do you think of Key Brian Hayes? This is a guy that has been kind of underrated in fantasy circles uh, until just recently, uh, but he's got the most important tool. He's got a hit tool, uh, mm-hmm. and he's got speed and he's got a little bit of pop. He's probably going to grow into more power as he kind of gets, kind of fills out a little bit. I think he's a future 2020 guy. uh, And I think the future could be sooner rather than later. That's interesting. All right. That's Cabrian Hayes out in Pittsburgh. Again, no one you really need to draft right now, but just know the name. You got to be aware of these names uh, should they come up in season and you're ready to make your fab bids. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle out in Baltimore. You know, any prospect of note, if they're if they're close, should get an opportunity at some point this year. Obviously, he's not going to break camp, 
But uh, how do you feel about Ryan Mountcastle? I know position's been an issue. He started as a shortstop. He's now over at third. Can he hold third, and can he come up this year after a uh, decent season in Double A last year himself? Uh, I he's a hard one to kind of pin down. I, I mean, I love the the raw skills. I don't think the hit tool is advanced as uh, maybe people thought it was going to be originally. Uh, he doesn't have really speed to go along with things. Uh, I think he's going to be up at some point, but I don't think it's going to be as quick as maybe other people. I'd prefer Senzel and, and Hayes to him. Yeah, and we're going to talk about the guy who has the third base job here in the next grouping uh, in Baltimore right now. Let's finish the prospects with Michael Chavis. Uh, he was definitely somebody who was improving his stock until he got a PED suspension last year, and it certainly put into question you know, some of what he did. We, we know that they're not miracle drugs that automatically make you a great player, but there was a pretty substantial power boost, and then he gets popped. The way that adds up certainly didn't look good for him. He had 31 homers after hitting, um, let's see what that would be, 25 in his career to that point over the course of like nine. 900 plate appearances then he pops 31 in 524 and then he himself gets popped he did return last year and play 46 games across three levels and hit nine homers with a 298 381 538 slash line we talked about Raphael devers earlier as somebody we liked uh not yesterday but the last pod that we did on third baseman so the spot is not readily open right now but i wonder if chavis could go over to first base and maybe find that as the avenue if the the mitch Moreland steve pierce platoon doesn't work out how do you feel about chavis in boston where does he play i just said maybe first base i don't know oh, it, it, I mean, it's blocked but but okay i don't that aside that's why that's why it doesn't cost anything like i don't like to get too hung up on the blockage because that's going to keep you from paying attention to guys and then they get called up because of underperformance or injury and then you're ill prepared to make a make a reasonable bet on them with your fab so what do you think of his skills should a playing time uh avenue open up for chavis that's what i'm more interested in particularly with him because he's 717 in draft and holds he's barely he's he's an afterthought in draft and holds so we're not worried about drafting him right now we know the playing time isn't there but how do you feel about his skills i mean he's obviously got power and you know the question is how much is he going to strike out at the major league level we saw in the in the short sample uh at triple a last year where his strikeout rates which was usually 20 to 25 percent jumped up to 35 percent super small sample uh, but I think that is the big key for him is he can hit for power. We know that. We've seen it. Um, I don't know that I even care that much about the PED suspension. I don't think that had a lot to do with the power boost. This is always a guy who is going to have 70 raw power. Uh, the problem is he has no hit tool. He's like probably got a 30 or a 40 hit, um, and he's going to strike out a lot, I think, at the major league level, and I think that's going to be hard for him to – uh, maintain any sort of regular role at any point in the major leagues. All right, that's Michael Chavis. And uh, like I said, the avenues are blocked off right now, but if something opens up, maybe that power can develop. Let's move into the meh category. we got four guys here, and again, I'll just get your quick thoughts on them because we really don't need a super deep dive. And if one stands out that you really like, you can let us know. Let's start off with the uh, with the jerk store, Jed Jerko. Is he somebody that you're interested in? Uh, he usually finds a bit of playing time every year. Uh, can he find enough to to draw some interest out of you, the jerk store in St. Louis? The only way he's finding a lot of playing time is if Matt Carpenter can't hold down third base. Well, we know he's going to get hurt and not do well. We called it 
this past year. We'll probably call it again. <laughs> I mean, we nailed that one, so we'll probably so, nail it again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's really struggled at third base, and but with Goldie now in tow, uh, they, he doesn't have the option of going back to first. So if he goes anywhere, right. he's going to go to second. So in that scenario, Jerko could become a fairly regular player at at third base if Carpenter really struggles. So I'm less I'm I'm not watching Jerko as much in spring training as I'm watching Matt. Uh, Carpenter's defense. Uh, okay, that and, makes sense. Uh, you know, the hard part is, you know, Wong is a Gold Glove caliber. I was gonna say he's second baseman. So, and they've really wanted to put a premium on defense, but you can't have a you know hole at, at third base. You can't have a guy who and, can't throw across the diamond, and they're not taking. You're not taking Carpenter off the field yeah. exactly. So, uh, I don't know how well thought out this whole trading for Goldie was when they could have just signed Machado. And played Machado at third, and played uh, Carpenter at first. But this is why I guess I'm not a uh, major league GM. Yeah, I do think Goldie works overall in terms. Of I think he's going to kill for them. Oh, I think but so too. But the like point it, that you're making makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. That it almost seems it would have seemed better to keep Carpenter at first and then just slot in Machado. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to a, a guy that I can't quit, and uh, I I'm still not going to just because <laughs> <laughs> this is another one of those like I like the person, and so that definitely plays a role. I will freely admit that, and it's uh, Todd Frazier. And I know Peter Alonso stands out there really excited about him, and I get it. I saw him at the Arizona Fall League. He crushed that, like, 103-mile-per-hour fastball off of Nate Pearson, and he's got uh, the the forearms from heaven. He's yoked. But I don't think he's, like, some ready-made, you know, first-base prospects that's generally an oxymoron. But he is an exception, though. He is a quality hitter with great power, particularly. He's an awful defender, though. But he's an awful defender, and I don't think he's going to swing and miss a ton. Uh, I, I think he is going to swing and miss a ton, and Frazier's going to get an opportunity. Whether you guys like it or not, whether you think he should or not, that none of that really matters. The simple fact is is that they're going to give him an opportunity, and I think that he isn't that far from a rebound. Last year was brutal. He hit 213, and he hit 213 the year before as well, but he hit it with a 215 ISO, and that made it a lot more palatable because he put up a 108 WRC+. Plus. So while... And he did it with say, a 344 on base percentage in 17 and then a 303 last year. So because so that, he walks at double-digit walk rate. rates. Yeah. Yes. So he's not that far from rebounding to a point where if he's over 100, if he's a 100 WRC plus or better, Todd Frazier is going to keep playing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, careful on your Alonzo shares, but how do you feel about Frazier? Can can you see any growth here to at least get back to 17 or beyond, or, or are, you, are you putting him in the grave the way some others are? I mean, I'm not putting him in the grave, but I do. I think there's a lot of moving. The fantasy grave, by the way. Sorry, that was morbid. <laughs> My bad. Uh, there's a lot of moving pieces here in uh, in New York for the Mets, and so you know the addition of Lowry. The you know they still have Jeff McNeil who can play all around the diamond. Yep. Uh, like you said, Alonzo is uh, toiling away in the minor leagues. And the hard part with Alonzo is I don't necessarily know he's ready to hit, you know, off-speed stuff and breaking stuff at the major league level, but he's got Bingo. nothing left to prove in Vegas. Like, Vegas is a launching pad, and he's not going That's to the problem, learn too. anything so there. He mm-hmm. needs to come up and learn at the major league level and see if he can hit a curveball or a slider uh, from a major league starter. Uh we won't know that until at least, you know, two weeks into the season when they can get the extra year control. 
I don't think that necessarily means that like Frazier is done because Frazier can play and you know first and third, and then he can move Lowry around and move other you know move McNeil around. I think this is going to be a really frustrating team to buy into fantasy wise unless you're in a daily league. I think weekly yes. leagues this is going to be maddening because you're going to set your lineup for the week and then only get four starts. You're really going to need to pay attention to um, how they're using guys, like with mm-hmm. platoons, and then look at the schedule ahead of time and try to make some guesses there. But uh, yeah, Frazier just OBP leagues obviously gets a boost. Uh, if you need some cheap power and you can take the batting average hit, because even if you go all the way back to 16, he only hit 225 there. So he's going to drain your batting average. But if it comes with 25 plus homers, it makes it a heck of a lot more palatable. Plus, he's usually good for a handful of steals. 20, 13, 15, 4 in the down year of 17, but then 9 last year, even when he was only on base 300 uh, at a 303 clip. So Todd Frazier, again, I'm, I've, I've got the rose colored on with him. The more sober view is what, Todd, uh, is what uh, Justin says about Todd Frazier, but he's pretty cheap too. Let's move over to Colin Moran. Uh, in Pittsburgh, we've already talked about Jung Ho Gong and Cabrian Hayes, but Colin Rand is the guy with the uh, strong side of the platoon right now. He's a quality hitter, and he showed some things last year, uh, had some flourishes, but in the end, it ended up being a, a pretty meh season with just 11 homers, 277, 340, 407. The real key as to whether or not he's going to be useful is can the power take a step? And that's really the question that we have to ask ourselves with uh, Colin Moran, and that's the question I pose to you. Can, can it take a step? Uh, I have a hard time believing that he can take a step in Pittsburgh with, you know, below average exit velocity uh, and a huge park in PNC. Mm-hmm. It just, it, I just have a hard time. And buying. a difficult division, by the way. Yeah. And like I mentioned, pitchers. when we were talking about uh, Gong. There's a ton of infield depth coming, including Hayes, uh, that could easily supplant him, and I think will. I think I think he's a starter for probably through June, and then sometime in July he's going to lose his job to one of these young guys coming up. All right, so Clock's taken on Colin Moran. He needs to show that he can hit, or else I, I do agree that the, the um, playing time could start to dry up, and then all of a sudden you really lose – you really have a leg cut out from you as far as wanting to play Colin Moran because – Playing time is his only avenue to real success this year because we haven't seen enough development in the skills. I mentioned that we were talking about uh, the guy who's actually starting at third base in Baltimore that's keeping Mount Castle down for now, and that's Renato Nunez, a former prospect of some import. Uh, he was moved over from Texas to Baltimore. He started with Oakland, and I believe he might have been a top 100 at some point, but he, he was. was definitely a top 10 in the organizations. Uh, Going to be age 25. Did put a, together a little flourish in 60 games with Baltimore. And, of course, it was hidden because no one paid attention to Baltimore in the second half. But in 220 plate appearances, he went 275, 336, 445 with seven homers. Is Renato Nunez someone you're giving some some attention yes. to in your deeper formats? Yes. Do a- tell. Ale only and uh, uh, your draft and holds. Uh, this is a really bad team. <laughs> They're going to play. He's going to play. Uh, and he has got power in that bat. This he was actually a guy that uh, in 2015 when I was doing player uh, or uh, we were doing position previews on the Friends of Fantasy Benefits podcast, 
Uh, I picked him as my sleeper that year to come up. Oh wow! <laughs> so this is this has been a long, long time, time coming, or maybe it was 2016. But he's still uh, just 25. That's the thing. He's been around for a while mm-hmm. as a prospect, but he's finally going to give a real shot here for Reynaldo. He's Nunes. got a ton of power in that bat. Um, the problem Great is, he, yeah, the problem is he ha- one hasn't had a lot of uh, playing time, and two, there there's uh he doesn't have much of a hit tool, so okay. there's going to be some swing and miss, but. They they don't care about that in Baltimore. They they actually like guys with a lot of power and that swing and miss. It's how they pretty they much. They want to see up. what they can get here, right? Because yeah, they're gonna get a home either, run here. He can either become a a secondary piece as part of the rebuild, mm-hmm. or somebody worth trading. And he's right? only twenty four, going to be twenty five. Age twenty five season. season. Yeah. Yep. And I think his defense is playable. I don't know for sure. I think he's got good arm, mediocre field. So mm-hmm. if if the fielding develops as well then all of a sudden you're talking about a real player who could like this I said, is also be... a team that used to play jj hardy at shortstop and you know i mean with, with a with serious back injury like this isn't well, yeah. a team in the past that have that's cared that much about defense he, he jj hardy used to be gold platinum glove caliber and then well health then the back injury yeah just... ate him alive mm-hmm. all right let's move on to the uh the swiss army knives here and we're going to go again quick hitting as well and i thought this was a pretty solid move for Texas to go out and get as Dribble Cabrera. He just, every year, is, is solid, right? We were talking about this with the Brian Anderson thing. Uh, Cabrera's been doing this for years. He's got triple eligibility, and you just look at the end of the year, and you're like, damn, that was a $15 player that I got for 2 bucks. Second, short, and third, uh, he should play because – yeah, you, you think that the bad teams should only play prospects, but it never works that way, right? You don't put out a 25-man roster of guys who are 24 and under. That's just not how it works. Veterans do play. And uh, between two teams last year, I think it was the Mets and Philly, Cabrera hit 23 homers with 75 ribbies, 262 average. He doesn't run anymore. He never was a great runner, but uh, doesn't even really give you the chip in. But you're getting pop and a decent batting average as late as you get him. If he, he's going to Texas, he could spike back up to 280, which is where he hit in 16 and 17. I like Cabrera at pick 284. I think he's a great utility knife for your ball club. How do you feel about Asdrubal? I feel like we talked about almost all these guys on the shortstop podcast. but uh, Oh, yeah, that's true because they are uh, Swiss Army knives. So I'm gonna right, make, right. Because we're repeating information, I'm going to make the same stupid joke that I made before on the shortstop podcast. I can't wait. Which was... I love what Texas is doing here because they really got younger at the third base position. <laughs> it's true, though. They did. They really did because uh, Adrian Bell, Adrian 40 year old Adrian so Beltre, they cut yes. seven years off their third base position by which, getting like a 33 year old. Yeah. So, uh, really love what they're doing here. But I, I think he's like super safe. He's one of those guys that. Uh, at the end of your draft, a lot of people aren't really thinking about because they're shooting for the moon and upside. Uh, and he mm-hmm. can occupy a lot of different positions, and he's pretty stable in terms of what he's going to give you. And like I've mentioned before, this Rangers offense is actually pretty decent and pretty good. It's the pitching that sucks. So uh, I think he'll get some uh, decent counting stats around him. So 20 home runs, you know, 150 runs plus RBIs, I think, is uh, in the cards for him. All right, so what we'll do here to, to pick up the pace with these last few guys is I'll just do either ors, and you tell me who you like better uh, of the duo, and then the last ones will be a trio. Eduardo Nunez or Hernan Perez? Mm, I like both, uh, but I'm going to go Nunez here just because 
I think there is a path to playing time because Dustin Pedroia can't stay healthy. Uh, mm-hmm. And if De- if Devers struggles again, they decide to send him down. He can get there, and he could be a real difference maker with the speed. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that across the board, especially because of the speed being the big difference there for Eduardo Nunez, not Eduardo Escobar. Uh, Hernan Perez is an interesting NL only uh, Swiss Army knife because he can find some time in in Milwaukee, but he he needs an injury right now. But we say you that know, every year with him, and he still finds his way to 400 plate appearances. He does find time. Well, yeah, I'm talking for, like, the full season. But, yeah, he's yeah. still going. That's the thing, though. The way they give guys off days now, guys don't play 162. So you get mm-hmm. the you get the days off. You get those tack-on at-bats as a pinch hitter in the NL. And all of a sudden, boom, you're at 400, 420 plate appearances, which is pretty healthy to be able to make an impact. So I, I do favor Nunez, but Perez is worthwhile as well. What about Ledmus Diaz going out to Houston and Yairo Munoz out in St. Louis? Who would you prefer there? Yeah, give me Diaz. Diaz uh, showed some skills last year, and he's going to take that Marwin role uh, over in uh, in Houston. So I think he could maybe get get – like 400 plate appearances and put up 17 to 20 home runs uh, in that kind of scenario. And if Correa is hurt, he's going to be playing shortstop for them too. So uh, I like Diaz a lot. We're in agreement there. I will point out, though, that Yara Munoz does have four positions, second, yes. third, short, and outfield. And I like him there as well. So if you if you prefer the flexibility to the raw skill, you might go Munoz. If you just want the, the more production with – uh, fewer positions go a lead miss and I lean to lead miss as well. Last one is a trio, Tim Beckham, Hunter Dozier and Charlie Culberson. Who's your favorite of this trio here? Pass. <laughs> no, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I, I got, I got, I got the it's one. Dozier. It's Dozier. It's Hunter Dozier, man. Yeah. He rakes and he's got pop, but he's also got sneaky speed. And I think that that's the aspect that, that might help him deliver some extra fantasy value. Batting average is going to be rough. But batting average uh, deficient guys with big power, those are kind of a dime a dozen. If he can chip in double-digit steals on the run in Royals, that could be interesting. And he certainly has the sprint speed to do it, does Hunter Dozier. So I'm really intrigued by him as a super deep, obviously, AL only, 50-round draft. Like the, we're obviously in the deep league section here. I don't even really need to say it. So it, it's it's clear. But I do like Dozier a bit. And he's going to play because he's in Kansas City. Exactly. Coberson's better than his twin. Dansby, but he, he doesn't have as good of a glove. He's got a much better bat. Together, if you could meld them and take Culberson's bat with Swanson's glove, you'd have a hell of a player. Yeah, this was true, but uh, you can't do that. We haven't we haven't perfected that science yet. And I've admitted that I have a soft spot for Tim Beckham. And the sad part, besides all of it, is that it's based on such a limited sample. Mm-hmm. It was like that one little run with Baltimore, and I'm way too hung up on it, and I need to chill the hell out. Because uh, he had 306, 348, 523 with 10 homers in a 50-game sample with Baltimore. And I'm small sample. He was also all one, over one the place. Pick, though, so like... I know, and that's probably <laughs> playing a role as well. But uh, the thing of it is, to to still like Dave, uh, David Beckham, to still like Tim Beckham, uh, he's picked 452. So it's not like I'm bending over backwards to get him uh, or anything like that. But he should play a bit in Seattle, right? I mean well, – I they can guess. bounce him around. Uh, yeah, I mean, who's starting at shortstop for them? It's it's Beckham inked in right now. Well, J.P. Crawford was who they traded oh, for, yeah, but yeah, supposedly that's right, that's right. he's going to start the year in the minors, which I don't really get why you trade for someone whose clock has started you and then think... send him down to the minors. But Beckham has yeah. no options, 
So if you think both would be on the team, then though Christopher Negron has to be on the call. I know he has no, options, no options, but he's either. 33. He's not good. Yeah. So why wouldn't you keep Beckham? As you know the what'll happen? It'll uh, he'll JP Crawford will be back on the roster once Ichiro plays through the Japan series. Just about to point that out. You're 100 percent right. And and then he'll be on because the that's all Ichiro's roster. playing. Right? Yeah, that's all. That's just a, he's going to retire. After, I'm yeah. sure he's going to retire after that. So. Which uh, selfishly, I'm super excited because that means he can be an MLB the show one more year. Well, I'm super excited because those games will be like three o'clock in the morning, and that's, that's our my peak like, time. Yeah, that's we'll we'll be like popcorn Ooh, we ready. Do, we should do something for that. I'd be down for that. You like want to do like a live stream or something? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Obviously, we can't show the game like on my Twitch or anything, but we could do. Like where you can maybe hear the audio. And I heard Nick Pollock say on uh, on the Pitcher List podcast he's going to stay up for it too. So we should do like a three way like live live like YouTube pod or something like that. Oh, I love that. Um, Let me see. Okay, so March twenty first is one of them. I don't know. Oh yeah, that's my anniversary. So can't definitely be that. The twentieth and twenty first. They're at four thirty central in the morning. So that's two thirty your time. Mm. Yeah, we could probably do that. Uh, yeah, we'll figure it out, but I think that that's something that we could do. It's uh, Wednesday and that Thursday. Is there one Friday as well? No, it's a two-game set. So, um, yeah, we'll be looking at uh, doing something with those, but we're, we're still a little ways away. That's going to wrap it up for third base. Uh, we went it through the the long slog of talking about all this third base. It's a pretty deep position, though. It's it's actually a really interesting position. And, with huge uh, drop-offs. That, that's yes, just the drop-offs sure. you got to watch for. What's your What's your general strategy going in? I want to get a stud, um, you know. I want to get I want to get Chapman. I want to get a guy like that. But uh, I'll be okay if I land on Ian Happ or uh, Sano for my corner. So yeah. I just I'm definitely going to be popping the guys I like though a round or two earlier than ADP just to make sure I get them. I agree, and I will be attacking the, those first couple tiers because I like a lot of those guys, and I might even attack it for my corner early and just well, get corner. And this is a place too in. where you're stashing. You know, if if you're not willing to pay the price on Vlad, go stash Senzel, stash Hayes, uh, as as guys that could be impact players later on. Yep, for sure. A lot, lot of, a lot of diversity here, and and most of these guys carry two positions. That even some of the upper tier guys like Baez, Bregman, uh, Ramirez, Travis Shaw is second base eligible. So that's really interesting as well. Don't forget Will Myers is part of it. So, um, what position should we do on Friday? Uh, I'm pretty much done with my starting pitching rankings. I should have those done, so maybe I did we, mine. Uh, and maybe so, we should compare and contrast notes. Maybe we dive in on that then. Okay. Uh, well, we might be doing Thursday. We're, we're by the way going forward. I don't know if that starts this week. You can let me know if that's this week that we're doing yeah, it. But it going start this forward, week or next week. Okay, so we might do Thursday or Friday this week. We will we will be back, but it's one of the two days. But going forward, we're going to be on Tuesdays and Thursdays together. Justin and I. I'll be with Nick. On one of the other days, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I'll probably do a solo most weeks on one of those other days, too. So we're looking at four a week plus the Sunday episode with Justin and Jason that I will be on as regularly as I can. So podcast going off. And yeah, you yeah. know what? If we're going to win an award, we better make it worth people's while. So hopefully we can win that tonight. Uh, but Justin, I will talk to you later this week. Have a good one. Take it easy.